Open your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Let's read verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Look at verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it's so good to be back at Grace Baptist Church. Lord, this place, it's your place. And so, Father, I pray that you are honored as we study your word today. Lord, I pray for those who are teaching your word in other places in the building now, the nursery workers and others, Lord. I, I pray that, uh, that you'll be with all of them and that you're glorified in all of it. Thank you again for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look this morning at an age-old battle. An age-old battle. Liberty versus license. Liberty versus license. You know, there are famous battles in the world, you know, whether it's, you know, Battle of the Bulge, the, the, all these different, the Battle of Bunker Hill, which is actually Breed's Hill, right, for you historians. And there's so many other issues, so many battles that are famous. In Christianity, there is not a more famous battle than the Battle of Liberty versus license. What can we do? What can't we do? Who's in charge of what we do? Right? All different issues that go along with this. As humans, we tend to extremes. We tend to extremes, especially young people. You know, I hate, and then just fill in the blank, I hate broccoli. Well, can you really be that vehement about a vegetable? <laughs> Isn't that right? You know, I hate Rocky Road ice cream. It's just hard to really get that enthusiastic about dislike for a food, right? Uh, somebody will say, I hate bluegrass music. <laughs> or somebody will say, I hate opera. <laughs> oh, you know, I grew up around opera. That's what I grew up around. And I ended up singing in a bluegrass group. It was hilarious. It was just, I didn't, it was like a milk bucket under a bull, you know, it just didn't work. Um, <laughs> but as pe you know, we're, we're just we're prone to extremes. You know, you watch the news, and you'll see things from the far left and the far right, or the people that are called the middle. You know, remember, a moderate is one who believes in nothing. Right? If you haven't decided who you're going to vote for, please don't vote. <laughs> right? I mean, the, the difference couldn't be more stark. And so it's, it's interesting how 
people are prone to extremes. And Christianity is no different. Do you realize how many different wings of Christianity there are? Or even things that call themselves Christianity? People are prone to extremes. And what's interesting is the Bible is really not that extreme. You just believe what it says and it will be good for you. Isn't that right? So as we look at this subject of liberty, this is an interesting difference. We have this pendulum extreme from liberty to license. And the problem is people don't understand the difference or legalism to license. So let's look at this. Let's try to understand liberty a little bit. What is the basis for our liberty? What's the basis for our liberty? Look at verse 13. It says this, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. All right? Brethren. Who are the brethren? Save people. Brothers and sisters in Christ. The basis for our liberty is this. There are only two families in the world. Those of you who have been through discipleship, you understand this. There are only two families in the world. Satan's family and God's family. Look at John. Keep your place in Galatians. But look with me in John chapter 8. Verse 44. John 8, 44. The Bible says, Ye are of your father the devil. That's not very nice. Who would say such a thing to somebody? Jesus. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh the lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. All right? So Jesus Christ is saying that to these Pharisees who were lost, they were not born again. They didn't trust in Christ as their Messiah at that point, as their Savior later. Uh, they, they didn't believe in that. There's only two families in the world, Satan's family and God's family. How do you become a part of God's family? The same way you got into Satan's family. You're born into Satan's family. How do you get into God's family? You must be born again. The new birth is how you get into God's family. The Bible says in John chapter 1, He came into His own, and His own received Him not. But to as many as received Him, to them gave He power to be called the sons of God. How do you get into God's family? Through the new birth. You've got to be saved. So the basis of our liberty is salvation. Have you been born again? Do you know for sure that if you died today, you're going to heaven? Have you ever heard this? I hope so. We don't have a hope-so faith. We have a no-so faith. You can know for sure that you're going to heaven. I hope that you do. If you don't, you can get that settled today. We can show you from the Word of God how you can go to heaven. We're not Gnostics. We don't believe that there's some higher knowledge that only a certain group of people can attain to. God's revealed this to the whole world. This, that everybody doesn't receive it. But if you do receive it, you can become a son of God. Right now, you're in Satan's family. God wants you in His. Amen? So the basis for our liberty is salvation. There's only two families, Satan's family and God's family. And you enter these two families by birth. Let's take a minute and look at that. Go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee... It's just he, He's emphasizing the truth of the statement He's going to make. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, 
he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's water. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. So there's two families. Those of us, how many of you have been born? If you're not sure, we'll explain this to you later, okay? So all of us have been born. How many of you have been born again? Amen. Amen. Remember, remember Christian math, biblical math. You're born once, you die twice. You're born twice, you die once. Amen? Then you have eternal life with Jesus Christ, your Lord. That, that's what it is. That's the basis for our liberty. So go back to Galatians chapter 3. I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. It says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. So that's the basis for our liberty. Um, so that's number one, the basis. Number two, number two, the battle of religious leaders over our liberty. The battle of religious leaders over our liberty. Let me say this, back on the first point about the basis of our liberty, one of the, the, one, one of the sure sources of frustration in, in work in, among church people is trying to get lost people to live like believers. Amen? How many of you have friends or loved ones, they're just not saved, and they can't comprehend why you do what you do? Right? And so what we then, we get frustrated because people that we work with, that we know, that we love, they behave in ways that just don't make sense to us as Christians. And we're trying to change their behavior. You can't change their behavior until they get saved. That's, that's what it comes down to. And I can't remember, someone wrote a book, Why the Cross Can Do What Politics Can't. The answer for America is not this next election. Now, I will say this. If the election goes the wrong way, we might not have a country left. All right? Um, next week, we're going to continue in Galatians, and we're going, to, we're going to see our culture demonstrated in Galatians. And it's going to be really interesting. Be sure to invite somebody next week, and it's just going to be an interesting thing to look at that. But what is much more important than the next election... Remember when Ronald Reagan was elected, we thought that everything was going to change. Do you realize there are still abortions being committed in America? What's the best way to stop someone from having an abortion? Lead them to Jesus Christ. Let them, to know, who, let them know who Jesus Christ is and what He's required of them because of what He's done for them. You change a person's heart, you change their behavior. Amen? That's, that's what it comes down to. And so this liberty that we're talking about, the reason that we have liberty, and it's liberty for a specific purpose, we'll see that in a minute, that's only for believers. That's only for believers. I told you about being in, um, at the barber shop, and I always get interesting questions at the barber shop. And one of the barbers asked me this question. Um, Jim, what do you think about tattoos? And the barbershop is full, man. There's all kinds of people there. There's people with tattoos, people without tattoos. Let's get the preacher to talk about tattoos. That's what they were trying to do. And so Casey is the barber. He's a great guy. And I said, Casey, well, it just depends. I said, if you're not saved, if you've not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, get a tattoo. I don't care if you get the Chinese phone book put on your forehead. It doesn't matter. Just do whatever you want because once this is over, you're just going to go to hell. And so it really doesn't matter what you do. If you're born again, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, your body belongs to God. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so you ought to not mark it because the Bible tells you not to do that. Amen? 
It's very simple. Now, if you're here and you have a tattoo, I'm not your enemy. I don't care if you have Woody Woodpecker. I don't care. <laughs> they asked me the question. I'm telling you what happened at the barber shop. Now, it, it, so here, here, this is the idea. If you're saved, you belong to Jesus Christ. Let's find out what Jesus thinks about it. It doesn't matter what your neighbor thinks. It doesn't matter what Oprah Winfrey thinks. It doesn't matter what Dan Rather thinks. It doesn't matter. It matters what Jesus Christ thinks. And so this is where our liberty is different for a believer than for someone that's lost. That's the foundation. The basis for our liberty is because Jesus Christ saved us. We belong to Him. He's made us free. Amen? And yet we belong to Him. We belong to Him. All right? So the basis of our liberty. Then, number two, the battle of religious leaders over our liberty. You know, somebody in the church is always trying to tell you what to do. Isn't that right? And so you have two wings of Christianity, legalism and license. The legalist is the person who they have the corner on holiness. They know what God thinks about everything. And they're sure to tell you. So they're going to tell you how to wear your hair. They're going to tell you exactly what clothes to wear. They're going to identify specifically what color lipstick you can wear. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Right? Or if you're allowed to wear lipstick at all. I always said if a barn needs paint, paint it. Amen, guys? That's right. Come on, don't get unplugged, ladies. It's a joke and it's funny. You know it is. Okay, so you have legalism. Legalism, what they're going to do is they're going to give you a list of behaviors. And here's the problem with legalism. When you get that list of behaviors, you think that if you do that list that you're okay. Is that right? And so that's what legalism is. And that's the problem that the churches in Galatia were, were dealing with. You had these legalists, the people who said, you've got to take the Jewish law and you've got to obey the Jewish law as well as believe in Jesus Christ. That's legalism. And that's wrong. It's heresy. It's completely wrong. We can't do that. Do you all agree with that? It's just wrong. Here's what you have to do to be saved. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that He was born of a virgin, that He came and lived a sinless life, died on the cross for you, was buried. Three days later, He rose from the dead. And right now, He's seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for everyone who believes in Him. If you believe that, understanding that you deserve hell because you're a sinner, you confess that sin to Him. Believe who He is. Identify Him as your Lord then you're saved. Amen. That's the gospel. Now, if I tell you that now, on top of that, you've got to give 10%. You have to, if you don't give 10%, you're not saved. That's a lie. That's just a lie. Now you've got to dress a certain way. If you don't dress a certain way, you can't be saved. Here's, here's the way that they say it. A Christian would never do that. Really? Really? guy that I knew for years, pastor of one of the largest churches in America. He was a personal friend of mine. Just had a relationship with a 16-year-old girl. You say, a Christian would never do that. Really? Wait until next week. Really? No. 
No, salvation is because we can't save ourselves. My flesh, in me that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. That's what the Bible says. Is that right? So if I take the gospel and add something to it that's just a lie, that's legalism. That's the technical definition of legalism. Adding something to salvation. That's what was going on in the churches at Galatia. And we all understand that. We've been studying Galatians for, what, three years or something. All right? So we've got that. But here's how legalism manifests itself in Christianity, in true Christianity. The statement that I just made. A true Christian would never. A real Christian would never do. And then just fill in the blank. And depending on your level of legalism, it'll be something from a true Christian would never have drums in their music. Or a true Christian would never wear red lipstick. Or a true Christian would never wear pants. Or a true... Well, ladies, guys. I asked a guy one time, I said, is it a sin for a woman to wear a kilt? And the guy said it to you, Alter, you're a smart aleck. Well, yeah, but answer the question. All right, so different levels of legalism. How many of you have experienced some kind of legalism along that line? All right. Now, before I go on, let me just make something real talk. How many of you understand that as a Christian, there are certain behaviors that we should not participate in? Do we understand that? All right, so here's what we have. You have legalism, which robs people of discernment. Um, let me give you an example. If you tell a kid that if he listens to rock music, that's the same as taking drugs. If he wants to listen to rock music, then he might as well take drugs. So all over America, there are kids that have grown up in Christian homes that get involved in drugs because they were robbed of their discernment. You tell a girl that if she wears red lipstick, it's the same as being a harlot. Well, if she wants to wear the red lipstick, then she might as well act like a harlot. And so you have kids who have grown up in Christian homes who behave worse than the kids in the world. Why? Because the kids in the world have some kind of discernment, and we rob our children of discernment. That's why we've got to demonstrate what the Word of God says. And we're going to get to that in a minute. So you have legalism. That's, how many of you have a pretty good understanding of what legalism is now? Well, pastor, you have rules. Okay, I'm a legalist. All right, now, <laughs> you have license. All right, now, here's the deal. Every organization has rules. Anybody here work at Honda? If you work at Honda, raise your hand. Can you wear whatever you want to work? No. no. Can you come in when you want and leave when you want? No. Do you get to decide what machines do what? No. Somebody else tells you every bit of that, right? They're legalists. No, every organization has rules. The difference is, the difference is, we don't say that your Christianity is based on whether you're here at 10.30 when the morning service starts. You see, if we say that you've got to be dressed a certain way to participate on the platform, that's simply, that's simply because we want the world to know that Grace Baptist Church is serious about what goes on here. Amen. Look, we like for guys who are on the platform, somebody preaching or whatever, to wear a tie. Why? Because most... I don't know why. I hate wearing ties. I think it's communists. I think communists have done this to us. Because that's what people expect 
when they come to a conservative church. Right? So we want to have an opportunity to minister to those people, so that's the way that we're going to present ourselves. Because if they shut us off before I ever speak to them, how good is that? So we're going to wear the tie. It's very simple. It's a simple thing. We will submit to the communists on the tie (laughs) so that we have the opportunity to preach the gospel to people. So we do have certain rules for different things, okay? But we're not saying that your Christianity is based on that. Now, it's very simple. If you're not willing to wear a tie to minister to somebody, you might have a spiritual problem. Is that fair? Right? So those are things that we can deal with at a different time. But we understand what legalism is. What's license? What's license? Anything goes. Anything goes. So what you have, how did we get there? How many of you understand there are churches where pretty much anything goes? It doesn't matter what kind of music it is. doesn't matter how people dress. doesn't really even matter what you believe. Just bring your money. Right? You understand that's where it is. How did that happen? This battle of religious leaders over legalism and license. Here's what people figured out. There are some people that like to be controlled. And you can build a really good big church by telling people what they have to do to be right with God. Because the idea of simple faith and trusting in Jesus Christ, that's hard to believe. That's hard to believe. But if you tell people, here's the list of behaviors, and if you'll do these things, then you can be right with God, then they never really have to deal with their spiritual condition. Some of the nastiest, meanest people I've ever seen are in legalistic churches. Is that right? All right. So now you got the legalism. But what about the license? Well, people figured out that if you give people what they want in church, they'll come. Right? So here's what happened. Late 1800s, you have modernism. Isn't it funny? 1800s, modern, modernism. Modernism comes. Modernism is saying that the Bible's not really true, that, uh, that Moses didn't write the first five books of the Old Testament. That's modernism. All right? Well, what happens is that influences all of the seminaries in the country. All of them. It doesn't matter. Uh, Methodist, Anglican, uh, Baptist, it doesn't matter. Presbyterian, all of the seminaries were influenced by modernism. So you have the fundamentalist movement starts. That was a group of uh, guys, they put out these pamphlets of basics that, that a Christian would believe. Things on the virgin birth, the deity of Christ, the inerrancy of Scripture. And so those books were called the fundamentals. The word fundamentalist came from people saying, I agree with those booklets. That's what fundamentalist is. It's not fundamentalist Islam or whatever. The term had to do with Christians who believed certain things about the Word of God. What they were doing was Christianity, groups of Christians were trying to say, what do you have to believe to genuinely be called a Christian? That's what fundamentalists were. So the fundamentalists came together to fight against the modernists. Well, by the 1940s, what you ended up with, we had fundamentalists. The fundamentalists came together. Fundamentalists were, there were some Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and some Episcopals, not, not, not many. Um, so these different groups of Christians. Now, how many of you understand there are major differences between those groups? Well, if we're all going to come together, we can't preach on doctrine because we disagree on doctrine. So fundamentalism came to be this. We believe in the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then the emphasis became that, which praise God for that. A lot of people got saved through fundamentalism. Isn't that great? That's wonderful. But the other battle came to be simply, we're going to have to fight social issues. 
So here's what fundamentalism was. It was spreading the gospel and militantly opposing sin in the culture. That was the definition of fundamentalism. So you could have somebody who would sprinkle babies, and that's okay because they were taking a stand for the gospel and against the creep of the culture into the churches. That's what fundamentalism was. And so you ended up with a Christianity that was based on the gospel and behavior. How many of you can see how that can lead to legalism? Right? So by the 1940s, you have a group of people who got tired of the emphasis on the culture. They still believed in the gospel. And so they were going to have a new evangelicalism. And that's where the term new evangelical, neo-evangelicalism came from. That was coined by a guy named Harold Ockengay. All right? And so they decided what we're going to do is we're going to be the intellectual group. So they had three principles. They said, we're going to practice, we're going to have a new college, and it would be Biola University. And then we're going to have a paper, and it's going to be Christianity Today, the magazine. And we're going to have a spokesman, Billy Graham, for the new evangelicals. And they separated from the fundamentalists. And they had two principles. Their first principle was infiltration. We're going to get back into the culture. We're going to get back into the seminaries. We're going to get back into society. And we're going to influence society from the inside. So their first emphasis was infiltration. Their second emphasis was this. We're going to reject the concept of separation. You can't infiltrate and separate at the same time. Does that make sense? That's why you'll never... How many of you have ever heard Charles Stanley preach? Isn't he a great preacher of the gospel? Seriously. Gives the gospel very clearly. He's a new evangelical. How many of you have ever heard him teach against Benny Hinn? Why? Because the new evangelicals, what they do is they reject the doctrine of ecclesiastical separation. Ecclesiastical, big word, talking about church separation. So we believe in ecclesiastical separation. The reason I don't belong to the ministerial association is because the Bible tells me to separate from people who teach false doctrine. It's very clear. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. That's what the Bible says. Very clear. So evangelicalism separated from separation. Isn't that interesting? So, Pastor, that's a nice history lesson. I'm explaining how we end up with license. Because when you can no longer identify error, anything goes. And so you have this pendulum swing from legalism where I'm going to tell you everything that you can do. I was in a church where people would ask the pastor what kind of car to buy. They'd get his, they'd get his opinion on everything. Now, some of you, I could really help you with your car choices. <laughs> That's not my job. Is that my job? Now, if you come to me and say, Pastor, you like to read car magazines. Which one of these cars do you think is better? I'll tell you which car I think is better. Which one should I buy? That's up to you. That's not my job. I'd probably say, don't buy it. Put more in the offering. Okay? Now, <laughs> it swings from, all, from there all the way over to here, where now, from legalism... Look, legalism is going to tell you everything over here to where anything goes. Anything goes. Now, look, 
if I identify specific behaviors, that robs you of discernment. Does that make sense? If anything goes, that robs you of discernment. It's the same problem. What's the problem with legalism and license? Here's the problem. Neither one of them believe in the authority of the Word of God or the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. You see how, how they both neglect those? You quench the Holy Spirit according to the Word of God if you don't separate from error. Is that right? And over here, over here, if I am adding things to the gospel or weighing people down with laws, that's grieving the Holy Spirit. Where do we get discernment? From the Word of God and from the Holy Spirit. So in Christianity, you have the battle of legalism and license, and it all has to do with how are we going to control the people? How are we going to keep the money flowing? How are we going to keep the people walking in the doors? That's the problem between legalism and license. Legalism and license, do you know what the answer to legalism and license is? Liberty. That's the answer. Liberty in Jesus Christ. The battle of religious leaders over our liberty. Now, number three. Number one, the basis for our liberty is salvation. Number two, the battle of liberty between these different religious leaders. And now, how about this? The battle in me over my liberty. And I'm going to give you a few facts and we'll be done. Uh, Five facts. Fact number one. Here's a fact. I'm free. Amen? I'm free. Look at Galatians 5.1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us what? Free. Free. I'm free. I am not under the weight of sin. I'm not under the guilt of sin. I'm not under the penalty of sin. I am free. Praise God. Anybody here saved? Amen. Now, as your pastor, I want to teach you what the Word of God says. I will discuss specific behaviors with you because the Bible discusses specific behaviors, but none of those behaviors have anything to do with whether or not a person is born again. Amen. I am free. That's a fact. This cannot be overstated, and that's liberty. That's what liberty is. I am completely free to serve Him. Praise God. So fact number one, I am free. Fact number two, I'm in bondage. It's just true. It's just true. I am in bondage. Look at Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 18. For I reckon that the... Often, I think the Apostle Paul was Southern. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Isn't that a great verse? Amen. Amen. Kathy, I knew you were going to say amen on that. Amen. Verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. What does that mean? What does that mean? Now, how many of you are saved? If you're saved, you're a son of God. But it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Why? 
because we're still in this flesh. When a person gets saved, you can't tell a difference in the way they look physically, right? So we're waiting for that new body. Why? Because we're still in our flesh. Look at what it says in verse 20. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage, see that bondage, of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of the body. Okay, now let me explain that. Every saved person in the world, we have the Holy Spirit of God. That's, that's the earnest. That's the guarantee that we're going to have a new body. All right? We have that Holy Spirit. But we still have this same body. Did anybody sin this week? Anybody sin? We'll be taking an offering in a little while so I can pray for you. And if you pay me enough, I'll pray really hard and that sin will go away. Is that the way it works? No. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. Praise God. Isn't that right? But why did you sin? Because you still have your flesh. And the Bible says we groan in bondage to this flesh. That's why the Bible says, If any man saith he hath no sin, he's a liar, and the truth is not in him. We're just sinners. That's why we need a Savior. I'm free from the penalty of that sin, and I'm still in bondage to this flesh. Next week, we're going to look at how the Bible describes that. But how many of you get that? <laughs> right? Anybody here is saved? Anybody here still struggle with your flesh? Yeah, that's that bondage. So that's a fact. The fact is, I'm free, but there's another fact. I'm in bondage to this flesh. All right? So fact number one, I'm free. Fact number two, I'm in bondage. I still have my flesh, and I still have my mind, my physical mind. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, Who hath known the mind of God? But we have the mind of Christ. Where's that mind of Christ come from? Here. Not from here. That's the issue. Then, fact number three. I need the Holy Spirit desperately. I need the Holy Spirit desperately. We're still in Romans 8. Look what the Bible says. Look at verse 13. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. You say, wait a minute, I'm saved. I'm just telling you, if you just feed your flesh, you're going to die. Is that right? Let me understand that if you just eat whatever you want, whenever you want, you're going to die. Right? If you get involved in pornography, it'll destroy you. It'll destroy you. get involved in gambling, it'll destroy you. You become an alcoholic, you feed that flesh, it'll destroy you. You will die from it. It's just very simple. All right? For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Isn't this interesting? It's not a self-help plan. You can try real hard to change. It's the Holy Spirit that has to change you. It's the Holy Spirit that has to put down those deeds of the flesh. Why? Because I'm in bondage to it. But I'm free through the Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit desperately to, to change this wicked 
body. I need the Holy Spirit desperately. Let's, let's see how that fits in our text. Go back to Galatians 5. Look at what it says. Verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I need the Holy Spirit desperately. Then look at what it says. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit. How many of you have been reading the Bible? You don't, please don't raise your hand on this. It might be embarrassing. How many of you have been reading the Bible and you have a bad thought? Why? Why does that happen? Because your flesh lusts against the Spirit. The strong desire against my flesh does not like what the Holy Spirit likes. Right? That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Look at what it says. Verse 17. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And look at that Spirit. That's not my Spirit. That's the Spirit of Almighty God. So God wants something different for me than my flesh wants. What's stronger, God or me? How wonderful is that? Yeah, there's a battle. There's a battle, but we're on the winning side. That is fantastic. Look at what it says. Verse 17 again. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the spirit, you're not under the law. (laughs) You're not under the law. That's legalism. License leads to death. If I feed the flesh and live in the flesh, that's going to destroy me. Over here, I'm under the law. That under the law, that's going to destroy me. But through the Holy Spirit of God, I'm free. I can have life. I can have peace. I can have happiness. We're going to see that next week. So here's a fact. I'm free through the Holy Spirit. Here's another fact. I'm in bondage because of my flesh. That third fact is I need the Holy Spirit desperately. And then here's the fourth fact. My liberty has a purpose Look at what it says in verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. The reason I'm free is to serve you. And here's a problem in Christianity. Ready for this? Here's a problem among churches like ours. Okay, we talked about new evangelicalism. We talked about fundamentalism. What's our problem? Here's our problem. We're free. We're free. And here's what that does. There are people that went to church last night because they have to. Right? They have to. We come to church because we love Jesus Christ. We love His Word. We love His people. We want to hear. Amen? Here's Here's what our liberty can do. Well, I don't have to go to church. I don't have to do any of that to be saved. I'm going to take all my time and use it for myself. There was somebody here that came here years ago, and they came to our church, and they loved the teaching, and they were here long enough for their kids to get saved and baptized. Then they went to our church where they could do whatever they wanted to. And when I talked to the guy about it, he said, hey, my kids have been baptized. They're okay. They've been grounded. Isn't that interesting? Now, were they free to do that? Yes. Yes. But... My liberty is for a purpose. My liberty is to serve you. It's to serve one another. It's not to serve the world. 
It's to serve other believers. I am free to do that. And it's interesting to me how many Christians enjoy the freedom. And aren't you glad Christians can enjoy the freedom? But they enjoy it so much it becomes all about them. I don't have time for church. I don't have time to serve God. That's just taking too much time. I, I don't have time to give. I, I got, I've got plans for this. I'm free. Thank you, Lord, for the freedom. Now stay out of my life. What is that? That's your liberty giving an occasion to the flesh. Amen? My liberty is for a purpose. I'm free. I don't have guilt. I can be righteous. I can be holy through the Holy Spirit and help and love and serve you. My liberty has a purpose. So fact number one, I'm free. Fact number two, my flesh is still real. Fact number three, I need the Holy Spirit. And fact number four is my liberty has a purpose. This is what's interesting to me. I wrote this down. Here's what I wrote in my notes. This is interesting. (laughs) My liberty is not about me. Look at verse 13 again. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only, use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. My liberty is not for me. My liberty is for somebody else. That's really interesting. Then, fact number five. My liberty has a product. Because all of a sudden, when, when I say that, when I say this last one, my liberty is not about me. My liberty is so that I can do something for somebody else. That starts to sound like bondage again, doesn't it? You mean I have to come to church? You mean I have to give? You mean I have to serve God? No. My liberty, because I've been because I was a slave and I've been set free, look at what it produces. Verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by what? Love. My liberty produces love. My liberty produces love. And when I love, I want to do stuff. When I love, I want to do stuff. I love Laura, so I want to do things for her. It's like this. How many of you ever had a newborn baby? How many of you hated feeding that kid? <laughs> I see why. You know. Isn't it interesting? You can wait to feed that baby. You love to feed that baby. Isn't it wonderful? How many of you have ever felt this? You're watching your kids eat. I think about the Arling boys, you know. They could eat out a grocery store. Would you all agree with that? They don't eat a lot. They don't eat a lot anymore? Okay. For a while, they were. All right? So, well, I know the Hickman boys did. Okay? But I know that while they're eating, Jody, you're not saying, I wish they wouldn't eat so much. Here's the feeling. <laughs> Matt is because he's paying for it. Yeah, yeah. How many of you have ever had this feeling? I'm so glad there's food for them. You ever had that? Why? Because you love them. You love them. Now, when they get there before you, you might not love them so much. But that baby, it's a wonderful thing being able to feed that child. Why? Because you love them. You love them. Have you ever not wanted to change the diaper? Of course. Why do you do it, though? Because you love them. Because you love them. Is it a duty? Is it a a drudgery for the dad? Yes. Yes. How many of you dads, seriously, the only reason you changed the diaper was because mom was a little crazy after the baby was born? Right? Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. That's not love. You're absolutely right. It's self-preservation. Okay? 
But we all do things because we love. That's why when I saw my office out there, I almost cried. Because there was love that was shown in that work. That's what love is. So because of what Christ has done for me, the Bible says this in 1 John, we can love because we were first loved. Christ loved us, so now we know how to love. That's what happens. You young people, you can't get that yet, but you will. You will get that. Your dads that work so hard for you, that provide for you. Uh, honestly, i got to tell you, where's Lydia? Right there. <laughs> Listen, Munchkin, there's lots of stuff I wanted more than your braces. Why did I do the braces? Because her teeth were terrible. She could eat a corn cob through a picket fence. It was unbelievable. And really, it wasn't about her. I was just embarrassed to be with her. You know what I mean? How come you don't act like that when I mess with Jacob? Okay. Why did I do that? Because I love her. I invested... I, I, what was it, Twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000? I don't know. <laughs> I invested in the braces because I love her. And here's what kids don't get. There's other stuff I would have rather done. Think of how many golf clubs I could have bought. <laughs> That's what love is. Love prompts investment. Love prompts labor. Love prompts sacrifice. Love prompts even death. Because all of us would die for our kids. Other times we'd kill them. But it, it, that's what it does. It prompts investment. So when we understand what Christ has done for us, that liberty, it produces love in us that creates a desire to be in the Lord's house, to minister to other people, to give, to sacrifice, to put other people before ourselves. That's what love does. Where does that love come from? It comes from liberty. Here's the idea. I'm free to love. I'm now free to love. All that baggage of my past, it's gone. I can love you. All that baggage of my sin, it's gone. I can love you. The, my, my eternity is settled. I can love you. I can serve you. It's not about me anymore. I can invest in you. What gets in the way of that? My flesh. My flesh. So then what do I need? The Holy Spirit. It's not where I say, Nick, this, if you don't start doing this, that's not it. All that will do is make Nick want to run the other way. If I demonstrate the Holy Spirit, if I demonstrate love to Him, if I show Him the Word of God, and then He says, Hey, I'm free. I'm free. I, now I can love somebody else. It changes everything. It cha that's the difference between legalism and license and true biblical Christianity. Thank you, Lord, so much for Your Word.